I'm Pete Pedro Hoffmeister, and this is the Boring is a Swear Word podcast. On October 31st of 2020, Danielle Dumille, the rapper and producer best known as MF Doom, died. According to a message posted on his Instagram account by his wife, Jasmine Dumille, on Thursday, no cause of death was given. He was 49 years old. October 31st is Halloween, so I thought of this as a trick, but it wasn't. Now this event might not matter to most people, but to me as a writer, it mattered a lot. See, for writers, the first time you read or hear a writer much better than you, it changes your life. Toni Morrison's Beloved, the short stories of Alejandra Pizarnik, Cormac McCarthy's Border Trilogy, Earl Sweatshirt, MF Doom. Back in 2004, people still listened to CDs. There wasn't a Spotify. There was no Apple Music. There was only one person in my friend group who owned a cell phone, and we all thought he was trying too hard to be important. I was a teacher back then, so naturally I traded CDs with my students. And in 2004, I swapped Jay-Z's blueprint for MF Doom's Mad Villainy. Then I burned it out. But later, my former in-law, now outlaw, gave me another copy that I played until it warped as well. I remember accordion, the first lines I ever heard MF Doom spit. He rapped, Living off borrowed time, the clock ticked faster. That'd be the hour they knocked the slick blaster, dick dastardly and mutley with sick laughter. A gunfight and they come to cut the mix master. And there were so many moments of slick slant rhyme. This from Raid. Ah, uh, what do we know? About the buttery flow, he need to cut the ego. Trippin' to date the metal fellow been rippin' flows since New York plates was ghetto yellow. With broke blue writing, this is too exciting. Folks leave out the show feeling truly enlightened. They say the villain been spittin' enough lightning to rock shock the boogie down to Brighton all right then. But he also got political. This was from his song, Strange Ways. They pray four times a day, they pray five. Who weighs is strange when it's time to survive. Some will go of their own free will to die. Others take them with you when they blow sky high. What's the difference? All you get is lost children. While the bosses sit up behind the desk, it costs billions. To blast humans in half into calves and arms. Only one side is allowed to have bombs. It's like making a soldier drop his weapon, shooting him and telling him to get to stepping. Obviously, they came to portion up his fortune. Sounds to me like that old robbery extortion. So, in MF Doom's honor, here's a podcast episode titled Flow. For MF Doom, there was no line between rap and poetry. Rap was poetry, and poetry was rap. Danielle Dumille also recorded poems, read poems aloud, loved poems, and honestly, every track on each of his albums is a poem. So for me, being inspired, I thought I'd read a couple of my poems now. My poems obsess with 
literary illusions aiming to be somewhat in the same league as MF Doom, even though I know that'll never be the case. The first poem I'm going to read is The Library at Alexandria, obviously an illusion. This I wrote next to the fire while my daughter Rue drew next to me. And then I submitted it to the Dilly Doon Review, where they featured it this December. We are the silence you never wanted, the sitting and the thinking, mouths shut without a television or a podcast playing, your wrists like something improbable taped to the ends of your arms. George Washington's dentures were collected animal and human teeth. I'm staring out the window at the rain, coming across slant, 30-degree angled, Duraflame log burning in the fireplace as a crow turns a dark arc through the wet of the front yard, swimming the rain, cuts the cedar in half, yet it still stands. And I turn to see you no longer there. This is the best answer I can give you. I don't know, and maybe never will. My next poem is titled, Before or After the Middle Ages. And really, I was thinking in both of these poems about maybe not being that important as a person. It's so easy to slide and believe that you actually matter more than you do. But I know I don't. So I wrote this poem. When the geologic plates slip and the concussive forces ripple outward in concentric circles, the headache runs the full length of the fault line from the front of my brain to the back of my ears, but none of the anatomical drawings by da Vinci show the empty graves of his stolen bodies whose hidden tombs smashed casket lids, tilted headstones sit above the open earth. I put peppermint on my temples, oil, take a tablet of butalbital, close my eyes and later practice attention drills, neurovision techniques, create analogies. Fish is to microphone as garbage can is to seizure disorder. This is the solipsism of personal injury the selfish aggrandizement of my own struggle, as if my name matters, as if this life is something more than one life in 7.5 billion. Putting my own image on a freeway billboard so I can drive by on the interstate and stare at myself in wonder. As writers, we're building worlds, and in these imaginary worlds, the details matter. I just sold my new book to a publisher a couple weeks ago. It's titled An American Afterlife, and it follows a 15-year-old girl as she's searching through a rubbled neighborhood after an earthquake. She's decided to stay behind, doesn't leave with the rescuers doesn't leave with FEMA or the Red Cross or later the National Guard. She stays in this neighborhood 
So part of what she's doing is searching for food and water like anybody would. But she's also curious about what people hide. So in the fourth chapter of the book, she's going through other people's hiding places, discovering what they put in these places, discovering what people wouldn't want found right away. And I've done this myself. I went through a fraternity once. They left it open during the summer. And I searched through all of the frat brothers' hiding places. I was just curious. And you find some interesting stuff. But in this world, I have her going house to house. So this chapter is titled Hiding Places. I spend the next afternoon searching people's hiding places where my neighbors put things that they didn't want discovered. I have a backpack and a duffel bag to carry items back to my garage. My goal this week is to prepare, to gather anything of value, to wait for my mother to return. Then together, we'll find a way out of this neighborhood, out of this city, past the rubble and beyond the flood. I search people's normal hiding places, find weed stashes at the backs of closet shelves, Two Rolex watches, mini baggies of Coke, snack-sized Ziplocs housing acid gel tabs, $838 in cash. I take all of that. Find dildos and vibrators in bedside drawers, KY lubrication in a cigar box, yours, mine, two-in-one, intense pleasure pocket rockets. I leave all of those where I find them. I discover porn under mattresses, straight porn, gay porn, fetish porn, something with horses that seems like porn, but I'm not sure why. I leave all of that, too. A teenage girl's razor blade in a jar under a Justin Bieber poster. One drop of dried blood, birth control pills, a switchblade, I take the knife. Find two condoms next, size small, in a pillowcase. A flip-flop Gerber mace spray connected to a rape whistle and a rusty machete hidden inside of a rubber boot. Those things all go into my big duffel bag. I find naked Polaroids of a yellow-haired man with his penis in his hand. A blurry picture of two clothed people kissing. Red Solo cups and ping-pong balls in a Target bag rolled up in a down coat and stuffed under a bed. 20 ounces of mixed hard liquor in a one-liter Dr. Pepper bottle wedged behind the back leg of a desk. I take a big swig, cough, and set the bottle down, keep searching as I buzz. An unloaded 22 caliber pistol in a size 13 shoe. No bullets, but I take the gun anyway. I discover what might be heroin tar, I think. I'm not sure. I've never sold heroin tar. But I've seen it on Netflix. I leave it. A detailed sketch of a naked woman in her 50s or 60s covering her breasts. An arrow pointing to her shaved vagina. A picture of a tribal tattoo. A picture of a butterfly on a young woman's lower back. 17 pictures of the same blonde-haired grade school girl posing in a two-piece bathing suit. I leave those. Move on. Find 17 gold coins. Take them plus a short, sharp hatchet with an engraved handle. Throw that in my duffel bag as well. A picture of 11 staples in the scalp of a man or a woman. Impossible to tell. I put the picture back in a hiking boot in a closet. I find a metal baseball bat with a dent in the middle. 
a note that reads, that was fucked up. We can't ever do that again, ever. Three bottles of Xanax rubber banded together. I swallowed two pills, sneak back to my garage. Even on the Xanax, I, I can't relax. It feels like people are watching me. I know I can't truly be alone. I get up and check the window a few times. All of the glass is broken out, and I put my head through, stare out into the backyard next to the garage. Wind rustles the bushes, but other than that, I can't see any movements. There are no animals. I don't see any other people. If only I could sleep when it's dark. The last three weeks, I've been reading Margaret Atwood. Because I'm weird, I read The Testaments, her sequel to The Handmaid's Tale. I read it first, and then I went back and read The Handmaid's Tale second, which was pretty interesting, actually. There's this moment in The Handmaid's Tale, on page 191, the start of chapter 30, where she writes, Night falls, or has fallen. Why is it that night falls instead of rising like the dawn? Yet if you look east at sunset, you can see night rising, not falling. Darkness lifting into the sky, up from the horizon, like a black sun behind cloud cover, like smoke from an unseen fire, a line of fire just below the horizon, brush fire or a burning city. Maybe night falls because it's heavy, a thick curtain pulled up over the eyes, wool blanket. I wish I could see in the dark better than I do. We say night falls, and I was thinking about that and how she reframed it. And if we want to geek out like Margaret Atwood, the improbable is all around us. For example, the moon appears to rise in the east and set in the west, but... Scientists know the moon actually orbits west to east. Or this. It seems as though the stars in the sky are infinite and absolutely every star we can see is in the Milky Way, other than the Andromeda Nebula, a haze that you can see behind Cassiopeia, that constellation. There's a little haze there, and that's the only moment outside of the Milky Way we can see. But even though the stars in the sky appear infinite to us, we can only see with our human eyes 6,000 on a night of perfect conditions. But in reality, there are 400 billion stars in the Milky Way, in the galaxy. A number it would take us 32 years to count to out loud. 32 years to count to 400 billion. And improbably, since 400 billion is such a big number, there are actually 12 times more trees on the earth right now than there are stars in the Milky Way. There are 12 times more trees than 400 billion. That fact blows my mind. But there are more simple improbabilities or the unexpected all around us. For example, cows kill four times more people each year on Earth than sharks. But mosquitoes kill 45,454 times more people each year on Earth 
than cows. Or this, there was a time on earth when four distinct human species were all coexisting. Isn't that weird to think about? When I was just researching weird random facts about the earth, I found this. Sometimes a male octopus gets too eager to mate. So a female octopus will strangle him, take him back to her den, and slowly feed on him for days. Or this fact. Goats? Goats. They have accents. And not only do goats have accents, like people, but goats can pick up each other's accents, just like people. Or this is something weird that I discovered. Acacia trees are able to warn each other of impending danger. And you know what the danger is? Hungry antelope. And you know what the acacia trees tell each other to do? They whisper to each other through very secretive means to increase the tannin in their leaves to a poisonous level. Then the antelope, the animals, they sense this poison because of the increased bitterness. And if you want to experience this antelope reality for yourself, like I did, go out into your local neighborhood and eat a white oak's acorn, which is edible. But then, try to eat a black oak's acorn afterward. And since I've done this experiment myself, let me warn you, with the black oak's acorn, nibble, don't chomp. In Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale, Written in 1985, 36 years ago. Alt-right, religious, racist, extremists go to Washington, D.C. and take over the government. The handmaid in this section of the book, on page 173, is writing about the past. Now, after the takeover, after the coup. And now women aren't allowed to have jobs. She writes, It's strange now to think about having a job. Job. It's a funny word. It's a job for a man. Do a jobby, they'd say to children when they were being toilet trained. Or of dogs. He did a job on the carpet. You were supposed to hit them with rolled up newspapers, my mother said. I can remember when there were newspapers, though I never had a dog, only cats. The book of Job. All those women having jobs, hard to imagine now, but thousands of them had jobs, millions. It was considered the normal thing. Now it's like remembering the paper money, when they still had that. My mother kept some of it, pasted into her scrapbook along with the early photos. It was obsolete by then. You couldn't buy anything with it. Pieces of paper, thickish, greasy to the touch, green-colored, with pictures on each side, some old man in a wig and on the other side a pyramid with an eye above it. It said, in God we trust. My mother said people used to have signs beside their cash registers for a joke. In God we trust, all others pay cash. That would be blasphemy now. 
You had to take those pieces of paper with you when you went shopping. Though by the time I was 9 or 10, most people used plastic cards. Not for the groceries, though. That came later. It seemed so primitive, totemistic even, like cowrie shells. I must have used that kind of money myself a little before everything went on the compu bank. I guess that's how they were able to do it, in the way they did all at once, without anyone knowing beforehand. If there had still been portable money, it would have been more difficult. It was after the catastrophe, when they shot the president and machine gunned the Congress and the army declared a state of emergency. They blamed it on the Islamic fanatics at the time. Keep calm, they said on television. Everything is under control. I was stunned. Everyone was, I know that. It was hard to believe. The entire government gone like that. How did they get in? How did it happen? That was when they suspended the Constitution. They said it would be temporary. There wasn't even any rioting in the streets. People stayed home at night watching television, looking for some direction. There wasn't even an enemy you could put your finger on. Look out, said Moira to me over the phone. Here it comes. Here what comes, I said. You wait, she said. They've been building up to this. It's you and me up against the wall, baby. She was quoting an expression of my mother's, but she wasn't intending to be funny. Things continued in that state of suspended animation for weeks, although some things did happen. Newspapers were censored and some were closed down for security reasons, they said. The roadblocks began to appear and identipasses. Everyone approved of that, since it was obvious you couldn't be too careful. They said that new elections would be held, but that it would take some time to prepare for them. The thing to do, they said, was to continue on as usual. Seems kind of improbable. The idea that extremist right wing would become the majority. When she wrote it in 1985, she wondered if it would ever happen. I've seen some improbable things in the last year. I watched one of my friends radicalize. He was always on the right, but now he's far, far right post QAnon conspiracy theories on his Facebook page. That was before he started posting on Parler. But the weird thing is he didn't even know what he was doing. I told him what QAnon was. He didn't know about QAnon. He didn't know who Jim Watkins was. He didn't know what 8chan was. He didn't know that the nation of the Philippines and its Bureau of Immigration has called Watkins an undesirable alien, or that it declared that Watkins is, quote, the owner and operator of 8chan, a hate-filled forum website which hosts trolling and serves as go-to resource for violent extremists and white supremacists. People are reposting this. Q's garbage from 8chan. They're following Q's garbage, Watkins' garbage from 8chan, and they're going to Washington, D.C., armed, breaking into the Capitol. And some of these people don't even know who Jim Watkins is. We have to tell them. But I watched my friend this year as he started 
quoting Bible verses and saying that he follows every literal word, even though he doesn't. Because Leviticus says you can't ever shave your beard. And my friend has a shaved, clean face. My friend? I guess my former friend? He talks about cancel culture and rants about that, about PC liberals, the left, the media. But when I commented on one of his Facebook posts and said, yes, this is why we need to wear masks, why we need to follow simple science, not only did he take my comment down, but my friend or former friend, I, I guess he's ended me, he took down my comment and then he canceled me. He blocked me on all media. This person who ranted about cancel culture, he canceled me. This person who I stayed with, who I kept messaging, who I called, who I hung out with, even after he posted images of Bibles and pistols together, even as he got weird and ranty and far, far right, even as he promoted the language, the videos, the articles of right-wing conspiracy theorists and racists. I stayed with him because I thought, no, he's not lost. We can bring him back. But he canceled me. And I guess that's where we are as a country right now. You stay with your friend of 21 years. You stick by them as they become weird right-wing conspiracy theorists and align themselves with white supremacy something that's disgusting to me. I stayed with him and tried to message him and call him, but he canceled me. Since this episode is dedicated to MF Doom as a thank you card for his mad villainy, I'm going to end with lyrics from Earl Sweatshirt, another rapper because Sweatshirt credits MF Doom for all of his influence on his writing. So like Earl here, we're all just trying to tell our stories. We're trying to relate, to empathize. We're all just hoping to survive, build community and join each other, but maybe we're lost. And even though I'm lost, I'm hoping to make it, but make it with others, not alone. So to finish, these lyrics are from Sweatshirt's track titled Chum. It's probably been 12 years since my father left, left me fatherless. And I just used to say I hate him in dishonest jest, when honestly, I missed this end like when I was six. And every time I got the chance to say it, I would swallow it. 16. I'm hollow, intolerant, skip shots, I storm that whole bottle. I'll show you a whole role model. Drunk pissy pissing on somebody's front lawn. Trying to figure out how, when the F I miss moderate. Mom often was offering peace offerings. Think Wee's cough scoffing and he's off again. Searching for a big brother. Tyler was that. Plus he liked how I rap. The blunted mice with the trap. Too black for the white kids and too white for the blacks. From honor roll to cracking locks up off them bicycle racks. I'm indecisive, I'm scatterbrained, and I'm frightened, it's evident. In them eyes where he hiding all them icicles at. Something sinister to it. 
pendulum swinging slower, degenerate moving through the city with criminal stealth. Welcome to enemy turf, harder than immigrants work. Golf is stitched into my shirt. Get up off the pavement, brush the dirt off my psyche. Psyche, psyche. And my